0: Imperceptibly, suddenly, leaves deepened into shades of hectic red, bright orange, and elm-soft yellow, coloring the withered fields and hedges, the rock-strewn pastures, and the scattered woodlands. The sun became steadfast, the clouds motionless. Autumn became immortal, stilled forever in the season of decline. The inviting weather and the readiness of the potato crop coincided. The plant tops had already been cut and carried away so the harvesting could begin. The farm's potato patch was a large, reasonably level field lying between the two Ryan houses. Potatoes were gathered for both households and some for marketing. Sacking potatoes was more a communal event than a chore. Villagers came to watch or work. Carefree children and barking dogs livened and altered the landscape. Nora viewed the scene from a west window. Duncan watched from a variety of vantage points near the house. Children were warned against and kept away from the potato rake. It was managed and pulled behind a tractor driven by Travis. The great curving steel tines of the rake were used to dig under and lift potatoes to the surface. The remaining work was done by hand. A large flatbed, horse-drawn trailer served as a storage platform for the burlap-filled bags. Malcolm had been lifting bags for only a short time when he noticed that Alice had arrived with her children. The two boys were taken quickly into tow by other children, and Alice became a worker. Malcolm left his post. Alice was rubbing soil from a potato as he approached her. "'I didn't know you were a farmhand,' he said cheerily. She laughed. "'Can't you see that I like potatoes?' She surveyed her figure with a quick glance." He didn't know what to say. She helped him. Actually, she said, I like uncovering potatoes and putting them into bags much more than eating them. He liked that. He didn't know why. He bent down and picked up a potato. Is that for me, she asked, or my sack? She was entirely new to him. He didn't know if she was being clever or flirtatious. He decided to reshape the phrase he had begun with— "'I really don't think you're a farmhand,' her reply was swift. "'I don't think you are either.' "'They looked into each other's eyes then. "'She saw a landscape of grey, he a few trees casting shadows. "'They stood close to one another in the sunlit field "'in a moment akin to happiness.' Before dawn of the very next day, the deceptive moment of ever-lingering autumn was broken by unseasonable rain. Somber skies became the color of the universe. Day after day, steadily, repeatedly, mugged-clogged roads were flooded by downpours. Night after night, rain fell upon the wooden shingles of the deluged farms. Nearly dormant meadows began to green under the warm gray skies of masquerading spring. Colds, arthritis, and flu became common. The doleful adage, a wet fall grows a fat churchyard, was repeated solemnly, as if it were an echo from ancestral tongues. Only Willard at the Ryan Farm complained of being bothered by the rains, but he, for years, had suffered from inhaling silage and hay dust, which could be easily aggravated by damp weather. Duncan enjoyed the prolonged warmth. Winter was, for him, the hated season. "'I can take as much rain as comes down,' he told Malcolm. "'In winter you don't see much beyond heaps of snow on dead rocks.' "'They sat at coffee together in the kitchen. "'Willard and Nora were in town. "'She's off to make more arrangements,' Duncan said with a snicker. "'What sort of arrangements?' "'Same old ones.' Malcolm shrugged a little. "'Oh?' he said, certain that Duncan's air of mystery "'was intended to keep the conversation alive. "'Same old ones,' repeated Duncan.' Visitin the bank, the doctor, the priest, the pension people, the old folks home, trying to find some way of sendin me to hell. Malcolm was surprised and concerned. What makes you think so? See all that stuff laid out there? Duncan scoffed, pointing toward the basin where his shaving articles lay. Ain't Willard who wants me to shave while the two of them are gone. It's the bitch. He stared with mingled defiance and amusement at the Madonna's statue on the wall. His small, hard eyes softened as he stared. "'I wants to see her splashed over with rotten eggs,' he said, almost sorrowfully, in spite of a mischievous grin. "'Sometimes something just gets into people,' he asserted. There was no pause for Malcolm's reply. "'It did us!' and it didn't have nothing to do with all hollows coming up on the calendar. It just happened, me and Todd Lynn come upon this cartload of rotten eggs near the Oak Flat Cemetery while we was out sling-shooting squirrels. I don't understand, said Malcolm, how you happen on a cartload of rotten eggs. Well, they was being drawn to the dump by Jim Cramer and his little brother in their dad's pony cart. Maybe not a whole cartload, but dozens of them. More than you'd ever want to see spoil. At first, it was just trying to see if we could hit an egg set on a post using our slingshots. Then we started throwing the eggs, first at the post and then at the cemetery stones. In the middle of the cemetery was this blue-robed lady, taller than anything. Wasn't long before she was dripping all over with slime. "'Smell! Never smelled such a thing! "'Worse and pigs or chickens!' "'He shook his head in disgust, "'then looked up soberly at the Madonna above the basin. "'That's not the end on it,' he admitted without lowering his head. "'Them Kramer boys was whipped within an inch of their lives, "'but me never got told on.' "'In the following silence,' "'Malcolm sensed that the story was still unfinished. "'There was a chill in the air, but the sun was shining,' Duncan said as if beginning again, "'the maples and elms standin', drippin' and quiet, tellin' us we was in for trouble. "'Twas then I whopped her in the face with my slingshot and took off a piece of her nose.' Malcolm expected Duncan to show signs of triumph or remorse, but he appeared to be calm and callously neutral. She never took no revenge, he said. Then he went to the basin and began to shave in the shadow of his early desecration. Before Willard and Nora came home, they stopped at Howard's to discuss plans which were eternally in progress to have Duncan sent to a nice home where he would have friends and be more comfortable. Willard, always disturbed by Nora's way of putting the case, tried in his customary way of meager protest to say that Duncan had always felt at home on the farm. Nora insisted. It's not his home, and we never should have let him stay like a star boarder all these years. Howard's wife agreed. Howard said nothing, obviously on Willard's side. We've talked to Dr. Carter about Duncan's condition, Nora told them. I don't think he's ill nor nothing, Willard ventured. That's because you don't have to be housekeeper and nursemaid to him as I do, Nora objected. I just wouldn't have it, Doreen agreed. When Howard gets like that, I'll send him to a home. The fact is, Howard said gently, trying to help Willard, we're his brothers. Willard and me have always been homebodies, so it's hard for us to think of Duncan being somewhere else if he wants to be here. It's not his home, Howard, Nora persisted. It's our home, Willard's and mine. Duncan's never done anything to help us. His military pension, you know, amounts to less than it costs us to keep him. Suddenly she became very angry. I'm tired of preparing meals and cleaning up after someone who calls me bitch. I've done it all these years only for Willard. None of it for Duncan. I'm adamant this time. I'll not do it anymore. Duncan will not spend another Christmas in our home. Howard tried to humor her. It's always been a matter of the men standing opposite the women, with Duncan somewhere in the middle. Yes, it has, she retorted cynically, except that both Travis and Alice have always been able to see what fools Duncan has made out of all of us. Even as a child, Travis had no time for him. Howard knocked his pipe into the palm of his hand. Some lads never do get cut loose from the mother. It was not the first time that Howard and Nora parted on a bitter note over the question of Duncan. I know it's your way, Howard, Nora said with some satisfaction, to turn to insults when you are in the wrong. She finished her tea before leaving. When Willard went up to the barn, Duncan was sitting in a corner of the milk house with a black and white kitten on his lap. Malcolm was already in the main barn busy at the milking. You didn't do much about picking and wiping up after yourself in the kitchen, Willard told Duncan. Nora's had to do it for you again. Duncan ignored Willard's remonstrance. How'd you get way up here? He asked the kitten, stroking its head. Willard had fortified himself. Nora wants to send you away. Always has, Duncan said, undismayed. She wants you to go to a home. What home? Duncan was quick, but also casual. One near Sydenham. Don't like it over there, Duncan snapped. Do you? Well, it's not the same as these parts, but you'd have a room of your own and be warm and comfortable. What sort of room? Well, with windows looking north and a television and a bed and some chairs. Duncan was interested in the room. What sort of stove, he wanted to know. No stove, Willard said. It's all central heating and the food is served up in a big dining room. No stove, Duncan mused. Never heard of a farm without a stove. It's not a farm, Willard said. It's just a place to sit around and eat and sleep and be comfortable. Well, that might suit some, Duncan objected. But a man's got to have something to keep him busy. For the first time in thirty five years, Willard realized that he had always understood Duncan to be busy about something. Exactly what it was he had never found necessary to wonder about; it was sufficient that Duncan knew. For a moment Willard stood perplexed before Duncan, who continued to stroke the black and white kitten which had fallen asleep in his lap; then he walked with his pail through the swinging door into the barn. Working with Malcolm, Willard wanted to talk about Duncan. Don't seem right, he said, to send him away. Ain't no denying, though, but what, he don't burden the others. It's all settled then, Malcolm asked. Not exactly, Willard said, pausing a moment. He was working between the two rows of stanchion holsteins, shoveling portions of ensilage from a wheelbarrow into piles of hay near the heads. Malcolm was seated on a stool between animals cleansing udders and attaching suction cups. No, not exactly, Willard repeated. There's clearin' of this and that to be done. Money matters and power of attorney matters and whatnot. But Nora's saying it'll all be done before Christmas. She wants him gone before then. Malcolm stood up and looked across the wall of stanchions at Willard through the yellow light. Willard was bending toward the wheelbarrow. The loose, leathered skin of his neck sagged at his bending. Malcolm could feel the weather-worn face and small eyes struggling with pain as the shovel was loaded. "'Why does it have to be done before Christmas?' Malcolm asked almost in a whisper, knowing there was no way to make the matter less bitter. "'Oh,' said Willard, straightening and assuming his usual manner, "'Nora has got some fool notion in her head "'that this might be our last Christmas together once, "'to have the main house emptied for only the two of us "'making all the preparations.' "'Even as Willard made the pronouncement, "'it struck both of them as a reasonable, affectionate wish. "'But how it was to be accomplished, or if it should be, "'or what price would have to be paid for it,' was too difficult for either man to comprehend. Before the milking was finished, Travis stopped by to look at one of the cows due to deliver. Probably be in before morning, he advised his father. Better check her every couple hours. Then he winked at Malcolm. Duncan's sleeping in the corner out there. Better take him to supper or he'll shut down the machines when he wakes up. Then he was gone. Willard conscious of Travis's brusqueness apologized to Malcolm the young lad's always busy they went into the milk house where Duncan was standing near the outside door who was it went through here he asked abrasively Willard turned to the sink to wash his hands Malcolm answered Travis did he have a tractor well he might have come over on a tractor Malcolm supposed Willard intervened "'Time to go to supper,' he said. "'What would he come over in a tractor for?' Duncan demanded. "'Time for supper,' Willer repeated with a trace of firmness, beginning to wipe his hands. Duncan and Malcolm stepped out into the chill November night. They had taken only a few steps when Duncan, shivering, brushed Malcolm's arm. "'I'm done,' he said between his teeth." "'What do you mean, done? "'Dead. Dead in a doornail.' "'Why are you ill?' Malcolm asked, pushing the porch door open. "'Who, me?' Duncan said scornfully. "'Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'll outlive the lot of them.' "'Nora opened the inner door, and the conversation ended. "'We're just having leftovers,' she told Malcolm "'as he handed her the milk jug brought from the barn.' but you're welcome to stay. I have some leftovers of my own that can hardly stand waiting, Malcolm said. I'll come in for tea later if that's all right. It was all right. But before Malcolm returned for late night tea, he had an unexpected visitor. It was Alice. Malcolm thought at first that she had been dispatched by Nora to help in enlisting his support in the whole matter of sending Duncan away. Alice had other matters on her mind. She wanted to look at Malcolm's books and at his sketches. She wanted to know what music he listened to and if he did any writing. She had been told many times by Nora of his interest in books and painting. The main reason for her visit, however, she admitted, was because she thought they had more things to say to one another. He thought so too. He hoped to hear a different version of her history than the patented one told to him by Nora. What did she tell you? Alice asked without any anxiety. Not much, she said. Want to hear the summary? Okay, she said indifferently. She was obviously more interested in Malcolm's print of Picasso's family of saltimbanks hanging above the sofa than in his report. To his surprise, she turned from the picture and delivered almost word for word what he had been told by Nora. I was originally a city girl who fell head over heels in love with Travis while taking homemaking courses at college. After that, I simply found no need for anything or anyone else and started a family. She shrugged her shoulders slightly and smiled joylessly. She turned away to look again at Picasso's family during a long, motionless moment. My father was a musician, she declared, nostalgically, still gazing at the picture. When I was in my teens, we used to go to Toronto and Montreal to the theatre, to operas and ballets and all sorts of concerts. I took ballet and played the violin. He knew that she was crying. But Malcolm was stunned and helpless. It was all a very long time ago, she said. She turned around and began buttoning her coat. There were no tears in her eyes. Bitterly, half-smiling, she said. It would be nice to be as old as Duncan without any children or a husband to look after. It would be nice to go away from the farm and never come back. Before Malcolm could say anything, she had gone out into the dark. When he went in for late tea with Nora, Malcolm learned that in the morning, Travis would be going away deer hunting for the week somewhere near North Bay. He also learned that Travis, upon his return, would be responsible for taking Duncan to his new home in Sydenham. Travis went hunting but the second plan had to be changed. Nora was notified on the day before Travis's return that the expected vacancy at the home had not occurred. There would be a postponement. Duncan had been forewarned by Willard that Travis would take him to Sydenham when he came back from hunting. Duncan made his consternation clear by asking, "'On the tractor?' During Travis's absence, Malcolm was sought after constantly by both Duncan and Alice. Duncan found a reservoir of untold stories and repeated them, along with those already familiar to Malcolm. It was as if he wished to tell and repeat all he could remember prior to the calamity of his removal from the farm. Alice left her children sleeping, night after night, to come to Malcolm's room and speak of how her life had been before she married and came to the farm. Duncan appeared obsessed to bestow what he could remember of his family history upon Malcolm, while Alice wanted him to possess full knowledge of her loneliness and her dislocation on the farm. Duncan behaved as one resisting dislocation, pressed prematurely into trying to review and unravel the events of his life, fearing that banishment and silence were the same. "'Alice spoke darkly, disturbed by forces far more subtle and sinister "'than those conspiring to send Duncan from the farm. "'Every evening, in spite of the disquieting possibility "'that she would be discovered in Malcolm's rooms, "'Alice came to drink tea and reminisce about her childhood. "'She had no hope of rescue, "'no designs upon Malcolm other than his company. "'She found through his interests some justification for dwelling upon her alienation from the farm. No evening passed without her looking quizzically upon the picture of the acrobats. Malcolm wondered to himself if she saw herself as the lady, seated at a great distance from the other figures, but she apparently did not. I was once the delicate little girl carrying the basket of flowers, she told him, facing the picture. The little girl in the painting was also faced away. But I have lost my figure, and I would scarcely remember my face if the little girl were to turn around and look at me. There is a poem by Rilke about that picture, Malcolm told her, but I don't have it among my things. He dwells upon the ragged rug the acrobats stand upon to make their leaps into the ether always coming down again until the rug becomes worn forlornly thin by their repeated leaping and returning. Ever since childhood, Alice said, I've wanted to dance on my toes and fly up to heaven. Malcolm could not be her counsellor. He could only listen knowing that she dwelt upon the past because she despaired of the days ahead. He learned that she had lost her parents early, her mother to influenza her father, in an accident. Most of my happy days went with them, she said. Her spinster aunt, with whom she lived in Cornwall, allowed that dancing and violin playing were important, but first and foremost Alice needed to learn to cook and sew and look forward to having a family. It was not until the evening before Travis's return that Alice spoke of her husband's conduct directly. "'He has never been faithful to me,' she said. "'There has always been enough money.' "'She made the two observations as if they were equally evident and unimportant. "'When Duncan is gone and Willard and Nora are dead, "'we will move into our house, as he calls it.' "'She shuddered at voicing the utmost calamity. "'I can see myself sitting in that kitchen as Nora is now, "'doing the accounts, watching the news, drinking tea.' The children gone, Travis away or sleeping, Our Lady telling me of heaven. The stove changed, the floor shimmied up, new linoleum. I will walk across it a million times until it has been worn quite thin again.